All right, kids. Y'all can go. <laughs> All right. The rest of us, we're going to be in, continuing First Peter. So we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And so we have, uh, you know, we've kind of gone through that introductory chapter uh, in that letter to First Peter as far as, and we've really talked about um, kind of who the letter is to as far as Peter makes it clear that um, this is to the elect exile. So we've talked a lot about what it means to be chosen by God and what it means to be um, exiles in the dispersion. So exiles that are dispersed. And so really so far, Peter has defined his audience by who they're not. Um, so he's defined them as their exiles, so they don't belong here, this isn't their home, and they're dispersed, so they're not together, um, they're kind of spread out. And so now we really get to kind of the thesis of uh, Peter's whole point of writing this letter, and he really gets into defining who he's talking to by who they are, not just who they're not. And so really what we're going to talk today is kind of Peter's big vision of who the people of God are, um, and so if we get our identity from God... All right, so our identity doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from where we live. All right, remember, we're exiles. This is not our home, but our identity comes from God. And once we have our identity, then we find our purpose. So today we're going to talk about kind of those big visions of who Peter says we are and knowing who we are, what he sees as our purpose as we're still in uh, this kind of exile territory. And so we're going to start uh, in verse 4. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through, Christ, uh, through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, and they were as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, uh, but that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercies. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passage of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. All right, so as we kind of look through this, um, really the way I see it is Peter kind of lays out three distinct characteristics of who we are. So one, we are chosen by God. We are his people. Uh, I love how he puts it. We are a people called um, for God's own possession. 
Um, the Old, Old Testament says that God is a jealous God. And so, you know, a lot of times we think of jealousy as a negative thing, um, but the way that Scripture puts it is the idea that God loves us so much that he desires our presence so much that he pursues us relentlessly, all right? Because he has chosen us. We are people of his own possession. Um, it says that we are a priesthood, so he calls us a, a holy priesthood and then a royal priesthood. So what does it mean to kind of be that priesthood of God? And then uh, finally, he calls us a holy nation. And for me, that one's especially interesting kind of in the context of 1 Peter but because he says you're an exile. So the nation that you're in, you're an exile in because you're a holy nation to God. So you don't belong to the nation that you live in. You belong to the nation of God, that holy nation. So we'll kind of talk about what that means. So those are kind of the three defining characteristics that uh, Peter kind of rapid fires out there to define who the church is, who Christians are um, as it relates to God. So the first thing is that they are chosen. They are chosen. So he uses very specific language uh, multiple times. Um, so he says that, uh, uh, that you, as we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Um, and so I, I love this because we have two instances of being chosen. So the first one is four, and that's talking about Jesus. So it says, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, all right, he's the living stone that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. But then Peter says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. All right, so he talks about that Jesus was chosen and precious. All right, so he was chosen for the time. So we, we know that scene in the garden as Jesus is praying to God, Right, he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's going to be crucified. And he knows the purpose of it, that it's to, to ransom the entire world, that it's to buy us back from sin and slavery um, to, to Jesus, to that relationship with God. And he says, if, if, any, if it's possible, if anything else would work, let this cup of wrath pass from me. All right, but he says, but if not, your will be done. So we see that Jesus was chosen. Right, he had to die on the cross because it was the way for us to be redeemed, for us to be purchased back. Um, and then we see later, it says that we are a chosen race. So it calls Jesus chosen and precious, and then it calls us a chosen race. And so, uh, man, those two are absolutely connected. And so I love this idea that we are chosen, that we are pursued. And so, so often, we've talked before um, just that we can feel isolated. We can feel uh, alone. And so Paul really hits on this, the idea that this group of people are dispersed. They're driven out of their homes. They're away from what's familiar. They may not be um, with their family. They've been rejected because of their belief in Jesus. Um, but this idea that he comes reaffirming that they are, in fact, just as Jesus was chosen and precious, we are chosen, um, that God has called us. And so to me, that, that kind of relates the importance of this relationship, that not only did Jesus die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, um, but he sent the Holy Spirit, another just like him, um, to pursue us, to kind of woo us into this relationship with Jesus. That it's not just that our sins have been forgiven. It's not that just that Jesus' death on the cross has made it available to us, but it's in the Holy Spirit we have been pursued into that relationship. And so uh, we see Scripture says that uh, 
the one unforgivable sin is, is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So basically, the one thing Jesus, uh, God can't forgive is a rejection of Himself. All right, so if we reject the Holy Spirit, so if the Holy Spirit comes and goes, I'm trying to awaken you to your need for salvation, and we reject that, you know, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's rejection um, of the offer of salvation. So, so really, the only way not to be saved is to reject being saved, is to go, no, I don't want it. Um, but as we look at this, uh, Peter kind of gets into this language of this, this living stone. And so um, it talks about that Jesus is this living stone, and it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Um, and then it gets into this description um, that pieces parts of the Old Testament together. And it says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so in uh, kind of the Israelite, the times of the Old Testament, all right, how they would build a building is the very first thing they would set is the cornerstone. And so the cornerstone isn't just the stone in every corner of the building, all right, there's only one cornerstone, all right, so that cornerstone, you know, decides which way the walls are going to go, all right, so they would start with a single stone, and they would build out from there, so that stone had to be the most precise, most accurate um, for everything to be plumbed, for everything to line up, and so if the cornerstone is off, then the whole building was off, all right, so the Old Testament is saying, I am setting up a cornerstone all right, that's going to come that we're going to build off of. That's true, that's pure, that's right. That's not going to build a skew, that's not going to be leaning, it's not going to fall down and be weak, but I'm setting up a cornerstone. And, so, and then it goes on to talk about this idea uh, that if we accept Jesus as this cornerstone, you know, we have honor in that. But for those who don't, um, scripture also says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and then a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So there's this idea that we are chosen and precious. Jesus was chosen and precious, but there would be some who would not recognize that and would reject him. And so we see that that's the Old Testament prophesying into what would happen when Jesus came. So he tried to prophesy in his hometown and he was rejected. He was rejected by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was rejected by um, the Roman government. Um, so the one that God had designed to be the cornerstone says the builders, the religious leaders of the time that were supposed to be building God's kingdom looked at him and rejected him. All right. And I think, so we see that a little bit today, but I think the one we really see today is that second one, that, the stone, uh, that a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That a lot of times when we lift the mantle of Jesus high, um, it becomes a stumbling block for those around us. All right? That if they don't quite understand where we're coming from, if they don't understand this relationship that we have as Jesus, so many times we try to fit them in a box and go, you must behave this way. But for them, Jesus is not the cornerstone. He's, he's the tripping stone. All right? he, he's what trips them up and makes them fall. And we see that in the New Testament with the Pharisees. The Pharisees keep trying to interact with Jesus and trip him up. And in those conversations, Jesus keeps revealing that he really is the Messiah and that there really is a way to fall in line uh, and follow God, that they need to go back to the trueness of the relationship with God 
and not just the disguise, not the religious uh, religiosity um, of the law, that they really need their hearts turned back to God. And so we see that he was a stumbling block to them. And so the idea that if we're chosen and if we're precious, then Jesus is not a stumbling block to us, but he's the, the cornerstone. So, so really when you look at this, you can really only approach Jesus those two ways. For me, Jesus is either a stumbling block all right, or he's my cornerstone. All right, so that means if he's not my cornerstone, he's my stumbling block. So if he's not the thing that I base my life on, then it's a stumbling block. So, so many times people come to church and they get really frustrated that their life's not going right, things aren't working out, you know, and it's like, well, are you just kind of showing up or, or, or are you really making Jesus your cornerstone? All right, if you're not making Jesus your cornerstone, he's going to be a stumbling block for you. It's going to be very frustrating. All right, so, so many times we approach Jesus and we like the idea of Jesus. We like buddy Jesus that wants to love us and be our friend, but we don't want to put him in control. So if we don't put him in control, he can only be one thing, and that's a stumbling block. So if church frustrates you, if reading the Bible frustrates you, are you making Jesus your cornerstone or your stumbling block? Um, but as part of being chosen is choosing that back. Um, part of being chosen is, you know, I'm chosen by God, I'm going to live for him. Um, and so that's that first thing that's so important to understand that we are chosen. Um, the next thing is that Peter calls us a priesthood. And he calls us that twice. So in verse 5, he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, um, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then later, kind of in verse 9, um, it says, you, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So what does it mean that we are a priesthood of God. So in church, a lot of times we call this uh, the priesthood of all believers. Um, and so the idea is, what, 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 what was the job of a priest? So the job of a priest was that of a mediator between God and men. All right, so uh, the Israelites, they would take their sacrifice to the temple to atone for their sins, and they would give that sacrifice to the priest. And the priest on their behalf would take that sacrifice to God. So he was kind of that inter intermediary step. Right? So to get to God, it had to go through the priest. Now, as we look at this, um, we no longer have that intermediary step. We no longer have a priest that we go to because Jesus has become our high priest for all time. All right? So Hebrews talks about that Jesus gave himself as a high priest. He gave that sacrifice once and for all time on the cross. So we no longer have to go through somebody to get to God, but we can go directly to God himself. So that's the, that's the importance of not just the sacrifice on the cross, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, if I have access to God, I need a way to communicate with him. So I have the Holy Spirit to help me in that connection um, to God. And so as we see this, um, that's so important that we understand that idea that we are the priesthood of believers. All right? So the priesthood, it was their job to at, offer sacrifices all right? and, and to be that connection to God in the world. All right? So if you wanted to experience God, you would go to the, the physical temple and you would meet with the priest who was God's representative. All right? Well, Peter just told us here 
that we are the living stones being built up into the temple so that we can be a holy priesthood. Right? So we no longer need the physical place or the person because because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are being built up into the physical place and we are the person. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so as we look at this, there's two aspects of this. There's one, it's a personal and one, it's a community thing. So as a personal thing, I have to understand that, that I go to God. So if I'm, I'm struggling, I go to the Father, I confess my sins. God, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. And so this is a, you know, we have the initial salvation, you know, so you can't get saved if you believe you've never done anything wrong. All right, if you come to me and go, Paul, I've never sinned, I'm perfect. I don't really need salvation, but I want to try this Jesus thing. I'm going to go, well, you don't really understand the Jesus thing yet. You know, we have to... We have to have repentance, as the Bible calls it. In other words, we have to be broken for our sin and understand we have need of a Savior to accept a Savior. Right? So once we accept Jesus, right, Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all time. That's good. Our, our atone for. I, I don't need any more atoning than I have now. I have all my atonement settled in the cross of Christ. For me to say that I still need to repent of everything I do is to say the cross of Christ wasn't enough. We need the cross of Christ plus, you know, this little chant I do every time I sin. You know, so I don't need to be atoned for again. But that doesn't mean there still isn't a posture. Uh, still isn't a uh, uh, an attitude of reconciliation and forgiveness I have with my life. So I've been atoned for. But when I sin, I still understand it breaks God's heart. Right, so my children, if they sin against me, you know, if they go crazy, if they break something, if they shout, if they get mad, you know, yeah, when they do that, they don't stop being my children. Right? They're my children. Right? That's settled. That's done. They don't stop being my children. Now, they still may break my heart. They still may need to come to me and ask for forgiveness. Um, but that doesn't mean they're not my children anymore. So it's the same with us. We, because of the atonement of Jesus, when we accept that, we become God's children. And just because you sin doesn't mean you're stopped being God's children. All right? But that doesn't mean we can't grieve God. That doesn't mean we can't hurt him. Um, and so there still are times where we get wrapped up in sin and we need to be that priesthood for ourselves. Where we go to God and go, ah, man, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Help me, you know, follow you better. Help me love better. Help me have mercy. Help me have grace. Um, and so we're that priesthood. But it's also this idea of community. And so the, the temple was not a place that you went like just by yourself. Like this is my time. This is just me and God time. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to you know, get in my prayer closet. I'm going to have that. That's, that's not the picture of the temple. The picture of the temple is that this is the communal community of the Israelites coming together to be with their God. Not a one-on-one basis, but together as a people coming to be with God. So when Scripture says that we are being built up into a holy temple, stone by stone, but we're one stone. So where do the other stones come in? Well, the other stones come in from the other people. You know, that we are together being built into this holy temple to God. And so there's this idea that as a priesthood of believers, right, this is not something we do alone. But this is something that we're building together, that we have shared responsibility in building this relationship with God. 
So yes, there is a personal component to my salvation. There's a time that I have to know God. You can't know God for me. I've got to know God for myself. All right. You can't know the Holy Spirit for me. I've got to know the Holy Spirit for myself. But that doesn't mean I do it alone. We still do it together. All right. So I know that can get kind of confusing sometimes, but sometimes we tend to make it an all or nothing thing. Of we have to be together to experience God. Well, that's not true. Uh, you can experience God by yourself. Um, but to understand that I grow best by myself, um, Scripture would say that's wrong. Scripture would has designed time and time and time and time and time again that we grow best in community together. And that that's what this community is designed for. All right, so we are, uh, we are chosen by God and we are chosen to be a royal, a holy priesthood. All right, so we are, we are God's priests. We no longer need that intermediary, but we are that person now because of the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing is we are a holy nation. So uh, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a uh, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I, I love this. So he's talking to uh, Israelites. He's talking to you know the Greeks, the Gentiles of the time that are kind of inter, intermixed up. And so he looks at him and says, once you were not a people. So he had Israelites in that room that grew up as Israelites uh, that would be reading these letters that he sent out. So it's amazing to me that he, that he would address them and say, once you were not a people. And so I love this. What defines this Christian nation that we are together? What defines this holy nation? He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the defining characteristic of our holy nation is that we've received the mercy of Jesus. Um, so our nation is not defined by where we live. Our nation is not defined by who we live with. Our nation is defined by the mercy of Jesus. All right. So the church, as we've talked about, is not this local body. It's not just the churches in Carthage, but it's every believer everywhere is the church. So we are a holy nation together on God, marked by uh, his forgiveness, his mercy. And so that binds us together. And so the idea is, uh, I was broken and was forgiven. You were broken and you were forgiven. And that's what now defines us and now binds us together. Um, that we can come together and we may have completely different backgrounds. We may have different views on life. We may have completely different experiences. I'm going to come from completely different cultures, but we are one nation, a holy nation, because we are defined by the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives. And that becomes that defining characteristic for us. And, and so I love that. We talk about this all the time, um, but I love the way that Paul puts it, that we have become ministers of reconciliation. All right, that because we've been reconciled to God, we've now become ministers of reconciliation. In other words, what's happened to us is so powerful that it now defines how we see and interact with the world. So my reconciliation is, is the most important thing that's ever happened to me, and it should spur me to want to see that process happen in those around me. All right, so you're broken, I know how to be fixed. You know, I'm not saying it's all roses. I'm not saying it's all easy. Uh, I'm not saying nothing will ever harm you, hurt you, or hurt your feelings again. Um, 
but it is the most essential part of that relationship with God that gives us hope and faith um, to live this life and to look forward to the afterlife. And so we are um, that holy nation that we are brought together. And so uh, while we may live in America and we want to be faithful to where God has placed us, we can't ever forget this is not our ultimate allegiance. This is not our ultimate nation, that we are part of the holy nation with God. All right. So like this whole letter puts time and time again, um, we are elect exiles. This, this world is not our home. And that is in good times and in bad. And so the amazing thing is we don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Peter or James or Paul talk about this idea that they need to overthrow or reform the government. Uh, and the government at the time was wicked, was very, very evil, would persecute and murder Christians, would drive them out. And in no place do you see them that this is a concern of theirs. Uh, in fact, it's just the opposite. They, they don't seem bothered by it at all. You know, James talks about, have joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. The trials he was speaking about was people being murdered and burned alive on the stake. Um, that's the trials, you know? And so I'm thankful we don't have to deal with those type of trials here. Um, but you don't see in Scripture where it's like, oh, man, we've got to stop this. Right? In Scripture, you see a continual. You, you be faithful servants of God. Right? You live as faithful servants of God. No matter what, you live as faithful servants. All right, so if that's who we are, uh, what does that mean of, of who we're supposed to be? So we're chosen, we're a priesthood, uh, and we're a holy nation. And so um, the, the first thing, um, so we are chosen. All right, so if we're a chosen people, that, that means our response is to live as a humble people. All right, so if I'm chosen, right, I've done nothing to earn my salvation. All right, I didn't even find it. All right, Jesus sought me out. The Holy Spirit found me. It pursued me. So I have, no, I have no pride or ownership in that. There's nothing I can say, well, look how good I did. I did nothing. All right, so if I'm a chosen person, then I'm a humble person. Um, so Paul said it best when he said, count, count others more significant than yourself. Um, that I never think too highly of myself or the gifts that God has given me because the goal is not the individual. The goal is the community that we live in. So if I'm a chosen person, I'm a humble person. Uh, if I'm a priest, if I'm a priest, uh, then I offer sacrifices. That's what a priest does. And so um, in 2 Peter uh, 4, 5, and 6, it says, As you come to him a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, right? So the priest's job is to offer sacrifices. So if I'm a priest, right, if God has made me a priest, if we're a priesthood of believers, then our, God, our job is to offer sacrifices to God, right? So does that mean, you know, later we're going to get a goat and we're going to go offer a sacrifice? No, no we're not going to do that, all right? We're offering spiritual sacrifices, um, so Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about because we've been forgiven, because we have grace, all right, therefore, all right, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. So in other words, we live and we move for God. 
So our worship is a sacrifice to God. Um, pouring love into those around us in the name of Jesus is a sacrifice pleasing to God. Um, so the idea is we live our lives, we live in such a way that we're offering our life to God. All right, we're trying to give God a gift with how we live. All right, so when you, when you pick out a present for someone, you don't go to the store and find what's ever cheap or rotten or, you know, I'm going to make you a cake with all this rotten fruit. You know, we, we, don't, we don't do that. Right? We find good things. We want to give good gifts. And so when we live our lives, we don't do whatever we want to and just go, yeah, 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 that's a sacrifice to God. And so this is a struggle sometimes, especially in church, because in church, the way we have it kind of set up in America, we want to come to church and we want to do what we want to do. I want to use my gift in this way. I want to worship in this way, to this style of music, with these people at this time. And we kind of get really picky and choosy. We want to, we want to do this God thing in exactly this way. Well, it's not, not about us. We're not making the gift for us. All right? We're making the gift for God because we're, we're a priesthood, so we offer sacrifices to God. And then finally, um, we're, a, we're a holy nation. And because we're a holy nation, uh, we're a holy nation still in exile. And so that's why we get this little last part um, of it's not just about who we are, but who we are defines what we do. And so, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, what he's saying is that you live such an honorable life that even though those that don't believe in Jesus may ridicule you, uh, they can't deny the fruit of your life. All right. And so sometimes we get this a little tripped up and we read this as if uh, we need to live morally pure lives. That's not at all what this verse is talking about. All right. He's saying here that we need to live honorable lives that even those who speak against us will go, man, they must serve a God. That God must be amazing. And so the idea is when we live that way, so the idea is not just, well, I know the truth and I'm going to keep the truth and I'm going to keep from sin. But the idea is that we love so well in community, we serve so well in community, those that don't believe in Jesus take notice. All right? That those that don't believe in Jesus are blessed by us to the point that they glorify God. And so in the Old Testament, um, God called Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation and through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So in Jesus, we have the same thing, but instead of physical land, we have spiritual blessings. So the fruit of our spiritual blessings should bless those around us to the point that they glorify God in heaven. All right. So we live in such a way, such an honorable way that no matter what someone believes, no matter how they may offend us, uh, no matter whether we agree with their decisions or not, but we love and we serve them so well uh, that they go, man, what kind of God do you serve? That's crazy. Uh, so it's not just what we're defined to be, but who we're defined to be by God changes how we act and how we live. Uh, so let's pray.
Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you've called us to be uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, Father, a people for your own possession. Father, I thank you that you've called us to to be one with you, to walk with you, to interact with you. Um, Father, I thank you for uh, the gift of the church, uh, the gift of the the Holy Spirit, Father, that we don't have to walk alone. Uh, We don't have to remain alone, but we can come together as a community uh, to really understand and walk this out. Father, I thank you for this church community uh, that you've given us. Uh, Father, I just pray that you continue to help uh, shape us, uh, to help hone us, uh, to help us live as that holy nation for you. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.